Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. I spent the last several weeks in the Gospels from beginning to end and bring us here this morning before we plunge back into the book of, of, of Romans. As I said, today we're going to have a follow-up uh, from what Pastor Jeff taught us last week about, about discipleship. I mean, the gospel is God's grace to us, full and, and free. In fact, it's all grace from beginning to end. I mean, you were not looking for God. He sought you. He bought you. He, he found you. Uh, he sustained you even, even this morning. And in it, in the gospel, in, in the grace that comes to us through, through Jesus Christ, God provides everything that we need for life and godliness. He provides faith and hope and, and love. He provides us the righteousness that we need in order to, to see God himself. And then eternity is all about him. We, we, we gain him. And as you learned last week, following Jesus is not a half-hearted endeavor at, at, at all. It's, it's not always easy. There are costs. Our, our, friend, uh, our Israeli friend Boaz admits that, that that's one of the things that actually holds him, holds him back. Confessing Jesus would cost him a lot as a seventh-generation Israeli. But, but as you know, and as I've told him before, not confessing Jesus as Lord will cost him a lot more not just now, but in eternity. And those demands of discipleship are, are explicit from Luke, Luke 14. I mean, true discipleship is nothing less than an end of your allegiances, your will, your life. I mean, and that's, that's very plain. And while it begins there, you also know it doesn't end there. I mean, saying yes to God in Jesus Christ is where the journey actually, actually starts. There is a straight gate, there is a narrow way, there are two, two foundations you can build your life on according to the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, and few be there that, that find it. And the few that find it have found it by sovereign grace, not because we're smarter than the, the average bear. I mean, the, the trembling part of that section in the Sermon on the Mount is is there are more people going to hell than there are heaven. And yet you have the words of life that can help people move from one destiny to, to the other. And there's a moment where our hearts are brought into a teachable frame by the Spirit of God. Uh, and that happened in a different way. There was, it was all, no matter how you came to Christ, it was all the, the Spirit's work and the Spirit used the gospel in all of our lives, but the circumstances may be different where God brought us to mourn over our sin. He gave us eyes to see the hope, the only hope that's in the Savior. And, and um, if that hasn't happened, then there's no journey at all. Um, you're still dead in your sins until that takes place. But, but once that happens, the Bible says we walk we live our lives. We walk by faith and, and not by, by sight. And, and that requires a, a, a Christward focus and a, and a tender heart. A tender heart is, is something that is, uh, is difficult to maintain because you have the world, the flesh, and the devil, but it is, it's necessary as you, as you live. I hope you have a, a tender heart toward the Lord this morning. I hope the, the, you, you, you sit attentively waiting for, for even the slightest breeze of the Lord to blow. And, and, and when it does, you're moved. Or I hope that God doesn't have to apply force to, to you before you'll, you'll turn and listen to Him. And that none of you are like, uh, like Psalm 32 where David says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which needs a bit or a, or a bridle to pull you in one direction or, or, or the other. I've been reading Dr. Richard Sibbs, um, one of the, the great Puritans the last month or so, in his work on Josiah's Reformation. He said, consider the wretched state of a heart that is not tender and will not yield. A hard heart neither melts with God's promises nor is broken 
with his warnings. And he went on to say that the, that the heart of a Christian doesn't start that way. It's possible for a Christian to get, to get into that condition. And he says it doesn't start that way. Sibs went on to say, as water, when it begins to freeze, will not hold anything. Not so much as the weight of a pin upon it. It just sinks. But after a while, when it freezes, it will bear even the weight of an ox cart. Even so, at the beginning, the heart, being tender, trembles at the, the least of sins. But when it once gives way to sins against the conscience, it becomes so frozen, so hard, that it can endure any sin. And you listen to that, and you're a believer, and, and you used to, like me, say, Oh, Lord, I, I don't ever want my heart to get like, like that, but... I want to be protected from that. And, and the way to protect that is, protect yourself from that is to keep Christ as the daily devotion of life. And, and when he's not, you want God to show you that and you want the Lord to, to draw you back. Well, that's the lesson that we're going to get today from these two women, both of whom, Mary and Martha, are devoted followers of, of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the, the lessons of the, of the New Testament is that the gospel is not just for, for Jews, but also for Gentiles. It's not just for, for men, but also for women. And the lesson that you hear is how to, uh, you get here is how to maintain a devoted heart and how God recovers us whenever we, we, we lose it. I mean, it's been said that the difficult decisions in life are not choosing between good and bad, but choosing between good and what is best. I mean, you can usually tell as a Christian, you, you've, been a, uh, you've been a believer for any length of time, you, you can tell what's right and, and what's wrong. You might slip at times, but, but choosing gets harder when you must select between two good things. Both of these seem, seem permissible. Both of these things seem good. And you couple that with limited time and multiple priorities and you can find yourself in a very confusing place. And Luke chapter 10 has two lessons that, that can help us with that dilemma. And you're probably familiar with, with the story. You probably know it well. But you, you need to see it in the context to, to grasp its profound message. And, and you may have read this story or remember this story. And you may have lifted it out of the context of Luke and not, not see how it, how it goes together. Because when you, you see that, it's part of, a, part of a larger narrative. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the, Luke, uh, the, the Lord has an encounter with a lawyer who asks him the question, how, uh, how can I possess eternal life? We, we would say, how do I know if I'm saved? And Jesus' response to that lawyer, who knew the law, he was a lawyer. I mean, his, his profession is to know the word of God. Jesus' response to this lawyer who knew the law was the Good Samaritan story. The Good Samaritan story comes right before this Mary and Martha story. And, and the Good Samaritan story is a response to that question that Jesus gets from this person who knows a lot about the Bible. And in that story, Jesus says a true disciple is not characterized by just what he knows, but by doing what God says. That's a good summary of the lesson of the Good Samaritan. You probably know that passage as, as well. We don't just say we love God like the lawyer, like the one who knows the word. We do what the Bible teaches us, which means we love our neighbors. I mean, the story... Of the, of the Good Samaritan applies the, the second half of the Ten Commandments. You, you, you love your neighbor as yourself. You remember Jesus summarized the, the, the law, and the, the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said that's the summary of the Ten Commandments. And the, the first half of the Ten Commandments is all about God. Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. The second half of the Ten Commandments is all about others. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And he says those are summarized by loving your neighbor as yourself, the second half, and then loving God with all of your heart, being completely devoted to, to the Lord. And so here you have a lawyer who knows a lot, but is not doing. He's not loving his, his neighbor. The story applies that second half. On the flip side, 
The story about Mary and Martha, which you also know, teaches us about the first half of the Ten Commandments. The, the greatest one, the, ones that, the one that stands at the headwaters of, of, of all the commands. A, a disciple loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and in this story, Martha gets so distracted in her doing, she loses track of who she's serving and why she's doing it. And so Jesus helps her with some prioritization. I mean, the, the section is about how true disciples function. We love God with all of our hearts, and we love others as, as ourselves. A true disciple doesn't just say they serve, they do it like the Samaritan did. But our service flows out of a single-hearted devotion to God, I mean, which looks like sitting at our, our master's feet and hearing him and, and doing that as the first priority in life. I mean, the, the characteristics of a true disciple are hearing and doing. And that begins with listening to his words, receiving his words. And it's easy to pit those two things against each other. I mean, some of you have forgotten why God saved you. It wasn't for you. You were saved to live for Christ, and living for Him is why you, you exist. That's where joy comes from, not consuming you know, God on yourselves, but, 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 but knowing God and, and, and living for others. And you, you give your life every, away every day in order to find true life. And, and if you've forgotten that, then, then you have to take a step back and Stop the inward focus and start ministering to others. And if you do that, you'll probably be a lot happier. The joy of Jesus will, will flow again. But it's also possible that, that you might be here this morning treating your walk with Christ like the 12 dwarves of Snow White. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. It's all about duty. And it's not about delight. And if you had to identify with one of the dwarves, it would be the grumpy one. There's everything going out in your life and there's nothing coming in. I mean, the joy and the refreshing presence of Christ has, has diminished. And it's all, what's all, all that's left is, is dry labor. And you, if that's you, you need to go back to sitting at, at the Lord's feet. You, you need to hear what the Lord says to Martha, who is busied about many things, but neglecting the one thing. That's necessary. Sitting at the Lord's feet comes before washing the feet of, of others. I mean, the Bible says six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, but there's only one priority, and that's profoundly helpful in a complex life. With everything vying for your time and everything vying for your attention, you have one priority as a believer. This one thing I do, and this passage is here to, to help us Keep those things in the, in the right order. And if you do, if you'll come back to that order, then you'll find the joy and the purpose that's, uh, that's there again. I mean, it, this, this section of, of Luke, this, this story, uh, there are actually three parts to the story. We'll say there are three details there. But the whole theme is the priority of choosing the one necessary thing in the context of all of Luke. One lesson out of a lot of lessons, but the lesson that the Lord has for us this morning. There's a preliminary contact that teaches us something in verses 38 and 39. Then there's a misguided complaint that comes from Martha in verse 40. And then the whole scene ends with the enlightening correction of the Lord in verses 41 and 42. I mean, this is the only place in Scripture where this scene is mentioned. And I think that when that happens, it's, it's significant. You need to pay attention. Just like that there are scenes, there are events in the Lord's life that are in all the Gospels, the Synoptics and John. All four Gospels teach this, this story. Well, that, that's important. It's repeated over and over. But also where there's something unique, you pay attention. And this story is, is unique. And it begins with this preliminary contact where Jesus comes on the scene and... Martha welcomes him, but Mary worships him. Look, if you would, at verse 38. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he, that's Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Jesus and his disciples leave this encounter with the lawyer that, that has the, the, the answer of the Good Samaritan, and they arrive at a certain village, and immediately Jesus is greeted 
by a woman named Martha. We're later told that this, that this town is Bethany, which is about somewhere between two to five miles on the backside of the Mount of Olives, between Jericho and Jerusalem, on, right on the backside of the Mount of Olives. Jesus actually uses that as a, as a stopover. He, he stays with, with this family as he goes in and out of the temple. Uh, coming down from Nazareth uh, or Galilee, where Jesus has his ministry headquarters, is probably about a two-week trip. It, it, you can get there faster than that, but, but that's about how long it took to travel from Galilee down for the three holidays, the high holidays in Judaism, where you would, would go up to the temple, you come down the Jordan River Valley to Jericho, and then you would go up to Jerusalem. And right about the place where you would just peak the hill, where you could see the Temple Mount, there's this little town called, called Bethany. And there is a, a woman who has a home there and a sister. Now, you can't take this too far, but when you put these two, um, two stories together, it's interesting that the priest and the Levite were traveling away from Jerusalem. They're traveling toward Jericho. And we're taught about loving others. They were in the presence of God. They were worshiping in the temple. And then they leave, leave God, and they don't love their neighbor. And Jesus and his disciples are now traveling toward Jerusalem. They're coming from Jericho. And we're taught about worshiping God, being devoted to God. And Jerusalem represents the centrality of God's presence. That's where the presence of God was. Jerusalem's the queen of the mountains. You're... You go there because there is the presence of God. And, and so one group was departing God's presence to serve, loving others. And Mary and Martha passage, they're headed toward God's, God's presence to worship, and, and it's all about loving God. And Luke doesn't tell us the name of the town, but he does tell us the name of the woman who greets us because her actions are the point of, of the story. Look at verse 38. Notice... It says Martha doesn't just greet him, she received him or welcomed him. It says now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And and the Greek there is specific and and it's a key. All the way back in, in the very first verse of this chapter, Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70. He sends out 70 disciples And he says this to them. He told them to lodge wherever they're welcomed or wherever they're received. If you would, at at Luke 10, verse 8, to get some of this context here. Luke 10, verse 8. He sends out the 70. And Jesus says to them, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is dawning. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, they do not welcome you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I mean, Jesus tells these 70 that are going out, representing him, there's going to be two responses to the disciples of Jesus. The same today. There are only two responses to the gospel, but the message of Christ that you give to people. He's either received or he's rejected. But look at how Jesus describes, defines welcoming or receiving him in verse 16. Look at, look at Luke 10, 16. The one who hears you, hears me. Here's the representatives. Go out and you're either going to be received, welcomed, or you're going to be rejected. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So Jesus here equates receiving them to listening to the message, listening to the gospel of the kingdom, listening to the message that that they bring. That's what welcoming means. It doesn't just mean feeding you. It actually means receiving the message and not hearing, not receiving the message is equated to rejecting God. Now take that context with you as you go to the Mary and Martha story. Martha welcomes Jesus, which means more than just hospitality. I mean, hospitality was expected in the culture. 
I mean, you were even, you're even taught in this culture to, the, to take your enemy in. I mean, you may have a mortal enemy. If you find your enemy, you've sworn to put him to death, to kill him, he'll kill you. You have to kill him. You find him out wandering in the desert and he's hungry. In this culture, you take him in and feed him and bind up his wounds and then let him go. You do him no harm whenever he comes under your roof. Now, you may find him five days later and shoot him. But while he's under your roof, you, you welcome him. That's how big of a deal hospitality is in, in this culture. But it's Mary in this story who actually received the Lord, who actually welcomed the Lord because she receives his words. Verse 39, here's Mary's worship. Martha welcomed him, but not truly. Mary worships him. She had a sister, verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, watch this, listening to his word. Mary is pictured sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching, receiving his teaching. So Martha here welcomes him, but it's incomplete. Mary is, is receiving. And the point Luke is making is a true disciple is not one who just welcomes Jesus in. A true disciple is one who receives his words, and then does them. So you don't just ask Jesus into your heart. His words should be in your ears and, and his ways in your life. And a disciple is, is one who does the words of his teacher, like the Good Samaritan. And, and that begins by listening to his words, receiving his words, submitting to his words. He is your Lord. He's, he's your master, like Mary. So if that's the case, that's what a true disciple looks like, then why do so many Christians only pick up their Bibles on the way to church, if at all? Why do they neglect preaching for such trivial things? And you could fill in the blank on all the trivial things. I mean, why do we not desire to sit at his feet and listen to his word whenever the the opportunity allows for it? it? It may be because... You've gotten the priority here out, out of balance. I mean, the key word in the encounter with the lawyer was, was do. Look at verse 25, Luke 10, 25. A lawyer stood up and, and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, notice what he calls him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And after correctly quoting a summary of the greatest commandments, Jesus answers him and in verse 28, look at verse 28, Luke 10, 28. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. He didn't get the law wrong. Watch this. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will have life. The key word in that story is do. But the key word in the Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary story is, is Lord. I mean, the lawyer calls Jesus teacher. And Luke never uses the title Lord to describe Jesus in the passage of the, of the lawyer in the Good Samaritan. But in this passage, in the, the Martha and Mary passage, Lord is all over the place. He, he uses a new title. He's not the teacher. He's the Lord. I mean, verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Verse 40, Martha calls him Lord. Lord, do you not care? Verse 41, but the Lord answered you see how these two stories go together. I mean, a disciple is one who listens to his Lord and does his will. I mean, the lawyer calls him teacher, but doesn't do. And Martha calls him Lord and doesn't receive. And while he's called Lord by Martha, only Mary is the one who's listening. And she's actually a silent witness in this, in this, uh, this section. I think this is a, the power of a testimony right, right here. I mean, Mary is never heard from in this story. She never even speaks. Her actions do all of her talking for her. She, she's only seen sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. She doesn't even respond whenever Martha, Martha uh, speaks evil of her in, in front of everyone. And that's the kind of life that, that, that I want to cultivate, the kind of life that you want to cultivate, a life that's that's given to, to learning all that God has, has commanded us. And that kind of life has a, has a weight to it, a credibility of a, of a testimony. And it exposes your real focus. I mean, 
let me uh, give you this illustration. You can see it. You can see a weighty life. You can see a life that's like Mary's, that, 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 that's receiving what Jesus says, taking it in. And you can also see one that's, that's, that's just like this. Just turn the TV on. You, you can see all of the, the steak knife selling faith healers on TV, and they say a lot about Jesus. They hold their Bibles up and say, this is the word of God, and it's all this. There's no weight whatsoever to their, to their life. You, you can see that. And yet then there are other people, like the lady that led me to the Lord, Theda Lewis, where she didn't speak a word to me, but there was something about her that was different. That's the kind of life that you want. Not one that people see this, but there's no weight to it. Your light is a feather. You want the kind of life where you have been in the presence of the Lord. You, you have cultivated that tender heart. You're sitting at his feet and there's just a gravitas to your life. It, it, it communicates something. Well, people see that you're different. The gospel has actually transformed you. And that's what's happening in Mary's life here. The kind of life gives credibility to your testimony and it also exposes your, your real focus. Look at how Martha responds here. Here's the second part of this, this scene. Martha's misguided complaint is seen in verse 40. There's an impolite distraction, a, an irritable outburst, and then there's an illogical order, verse 40. It says, but, here's a contrast, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone, then tell her to help me. Now, you know, this is one of the most mind-blowing verses in all the Bible when you actually see what's going on here. Probably second to Caesarea Philippi, where Peter rebukes the Lord. You remember Caesarea Philippi, where everybody in the, in the, the beginning of the Gospels are, are, are asking the question, who is this man? I mean, the disciples are even asking the question. They're in the boat and Jesus calms the storm, the 70 plus mile an hour hurricane force winds, 12 to 15 foot waves on a the sea. They're in a 26 foot open bowed fishing boat and Jesus is asleep. And he stands up and says, peace, be still. He rebukes the wind and he rebukes the sea and it turns to glass by his command. And the disciples say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves, that even nature obeys his voice? This is not an ordinary man, but they ask the question. And it's not until Caesarea Philippi that they answer the question and Jesus makes them answer it. He, he takes them there amongst all the pagan worship and he says, who do people, who are people saying that I am? Who do you say that I am? The question that divides humanity may divide you this morning. Who do you say is Jesus Christ? And Peter answers. He gives the right answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The first time the disciples actually make that confession. And then Jesus immediately begins to tell them, you're right. And this is what the Christ will do. Isaiah 53. He is the suffering servant. He'll, he's going to go to a cross. He's going to die. He's going to be raised from the dead. And the text says, while Jesus is explaining that to the rest of the disciples, Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and, 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 and die. And, I'm, and, and while he's doing that, Peter is over here tugging on it. Hey, can, can you stop just for a second? Can I talk to you? And he pulls him aside, interrupts the Lord's teaching. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. That, that's not what's going to happen. If you're the Christ, we're going to set up the kingdom right now. Just, just listen to what, what, I, what I'm telling you. And you remember what Jesus says to Peter. He rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. It doesn't mean that Peter was demon-possessed at that moment. He goes on to explain what he means. You set your mind on earthly things, not on the things of God. You have an earthly mindset right now, Peter, which is demonic, wisdom from the world, not wisdom above. And Martha is doing the same thing here. Luke says Martha was distracted with much serving. The word, word means she busied herself, being pulled in every direction. I mean, there's at least 15 people to serve here. You got Jesus, his disciples, Mary and Martha. Lazarus makes it, Lazarus makes at least 16. In normal preparation should not have caused Martha to be distracted. I mean, not to the point where she... 
she uh, neglects the honored guest. I mean, normal procedure would have been to sit and listen whenever the guest gets here. And yet she's pictured rushing around and serving. And in fact, she would have already had the basics ready. Someone would have come forward, uh, ahead, run ahead. Hey, run ahead and tell Martha that we're, we're staying with her so she can get everything ready. That's what's happened. And the picture here is not just Martha doing that. She's focused on the wrong thing. She's busied herself with preparation. She gets overwhelmed and she's actually being impolite. She's not just being neglectful of her guests, though. This is not just an issue of hospitality. She's neglecting God, the Lord himself. And sometimes activities associated with Jesus can become more than Jesus himself, more important than Jesus himself. And when that happens, something's out of line, and you have to stop, and you have to get it back in order, or it'll never work. I mean... Don't get me wrong. God is not pitting serving against listening here. He's not saying uh, enter into a contemplative life. Go be a monk in a desert and, you know, eat paste and ring bells or whatever else it is. He's he's not saying that. The answer is not to stop serving. The answer is to get serving in the right order. The ear then guides the heart and the heart directs the hands. And if that stays out of order too long, then you get dry and you get bitter and you get grumbly. Look at verse 40. After it tells us Martha's condition, she was distracted with her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I mean, here is her irritable outburst. Uh, It says she approached him. And this is the Peter part. This is the mind-blowing part. Jesus is teaching. Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to his words. So is everyone else. The the guest is here, the guest rabbi is here, and he is giving the symposium. He's 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 talking, he's he's preaching, teaching. And Martha interrupts him, interrupts the word of God. And she does the same thing the lawyer does. Instead of listening to his teaching, she she interjects her own ideas and she indicts herself. She questions the Lord's care and she questions Mary's commitment. She's critical of God and of others. Look at what she says. Lord, it's the only time she calls him Lord. Lord, do you not care? Do you not see? Look at me. Look at her. She's exasperated and blurts out with with anger. She, She feels that she has good reason to be annoyed. I have good reason to interrupt you right now because what is happening in this moment is wrong. And somebody's got to change it. And you're the one who has the ability. You're the one who has the authority here. And you need to hear me. That's the idea. In her mind, she is the one who's being the true disciple. I'm serving. That's not a true disciple. I'm the true disciple. She's doing all the work and Mary's just listening. And yet in her comparison, she actually condemns herself. She forgets in her working what actually motivates a true disciple, sitting at the Master's feet. Jesus' point is not to exalt contemplative life over a life of action. We do both. But when we get those things out of order, then serving becomes a toil that you endure, not a worship that you give. You understand that your service to God, you're reading the scriptures, you're, you're praying for others, is, is, a, is a worship that you give. And you do that out of, a, out of the overflow of your heart. But if there's nothing coming in, then, then that's just gears that are grinding without any type of oil. And then others become a point of comparison, not partners in the fight. And Mary... Martha also grumbles against the Lord. She's not just accusing her sister, but she's accusing God of not, com- of not caring about her. She's upset with the circumstances that she's created, and then she blames God for not re- re- relieving them. I mean, she's basically saying, why are you allowing this? I mean, you're just sitting here, letting her sit there. Do something. It's the most common complaint in the Bible and one that's far too natural to my own heart. I'm sure you've never done it. Create a mess on your own and then blame God when he doesn't get you out of the mess that you created, right? Now the good news is the Lord will deliver you out of any mess, but he'll teach you a lesson along the way. 
What did the disciples say in that same storm passage? Lord, do you not care that we perish? And you have to be careful there. Rather than asking why questions, why are you allowing this? You should be asking what? What are you doing? I don't like this. That's fine. I tell God that all the time. I don't like this. I don't like the way this feels. I wish I wasn't in the middle of this. I don't enjoy trials any more than you do. But as much as I dislike the trial, Lord, I know you're good. And I know you're sovereign. And I know you're doing something in this. But Lord, I don't like these trials. Lord, get me out of these trials. But, but Lord, you're good. And I know you're sovereign. And I don't know what you're teaching me, but whatever it is, I, I, I want to learn. Rather than asking, why are you allowing this? You should be asking, what are you doing in me through this? Because why questions God's care for us and breeds more suspicion about his goodness. What leads us to think God is working in my circumstances? What are you doing? Well, God is at work. You just might not know what he's doing. Look at verse 40, how she ends this. Tell her to help me. Don't miss the significance of that moment. She interrupts the teaching of God. She complains about someone else, criticizes someone else. She questions the Lord's care, and then she orders God to do something. Tell her to help me. This is Martha's illogical order. She orders Jesus. She calls him Lord and then tells him what to do. I'm sure you've never done that either, like me, right? Call God God and then tell God what to do. Martha accuses Mary of being lazy and criticizes her. She becomes so inward turned, so focused on herself and her labor, she starts finding someone to point the finger at and in turn tries to take away the good thing from her. And don't miss what she says to the Lord in verse 40. Do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Now, it could mean she just left me to do it all. But I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that at one point, Mary was actually helping her, serving her. These women are keepers of the home. And if a guest would have been coming, both of them would have been doing work. But you know what happened? Whenever Jesus showed up, when you were supposed to sit and listen to the guest, Mary left off and did what she should have done, and Martha continued with her many things. At one point, Mary was serving with her, but when the time came to do the best thing, to do the right thing, she sat at Jesus' feet. And the Lord wants listeners that become laborers, not servers that become critics. Because He can take care of His own disciples. Let's say you are doing all of the work and somebody is neglecting the work of the Lord. Who are you to say anything about that anyway? You're just another slave. You let the master deal with his own slaves. He doesn't need your help or mine. Don't you find it easy, though, to do exactly what Martha does here when things get out of order, when you get dry and you're not sitting at the master's feet? Why don't they serve somewhere? I mean, they have kids in the church. Why aren't they serving in the nursery like me? I mean, I'm on the rotation. I mean, what does he do anyway? I mean, he got to get out there and do some work or witness, I mean, instead of studying and praying all the time. Do a lot of your conversations about other Christians or, or the church consist of complaints and criticism? If so you've got an issue, it's, and it's not them, it's you. Now, you may not say that publicly, except for 15 of your closest friends as a prayer request. But even if you don't say it publicly, even if you don't do that, it's in your heart. And How can you pray well when that criticism is in your heart and you can't pull in the right direction, you can't hear the Word of God? I mean, if you're not growing or you're, you're not getting anything out of your Sunday school teacher's lessons, I mean, the first place to look is a root of bitterness, a critical spirit, because that'll, that'll kill your spiritual appetite and stop up your ears. And yet the Lord still loves you, which is why he put this passage in the Bible. Look at this enlightening correction here. Verse 41, there's an affectionate disapproval. 
an evident denial, and then the Lord affirms what's an appropriate desire. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, I mean, here's a passage that just shows us how God is not like us. What would you have done in that moment? Backhanded Martha with a bolt of lightning, right? Do you not understand that God is talking here? What is your problem? But that's not what he does because the Lord's not like us. He's gracious and kind. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Now, now I don't know about your upbringing, but when my mother said my full name, William Brian Farrell, I knew to pay attention. (laughs) A rebuke is coming. So Jesus says, Martha, Martha. He repeats her name twice to get her attention. But this is a concerned correction. This is affectionate disapproval. He's going to disapprove, but the Martha, Martha is, is affection. And he's showing his great affection for her with the repetition of her name. But he's also giving his sincere disapproval of her, of her attitude. And he's just another example of how God loves us, even in our sin and our unbelief about his care and our critical spirit toward others. That grieves him, but he loves us. And he loves us enough to point it out and to correct us. Verse 41, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Here's the, the, the evident denial. In points out her sin. She was inwardly worried and outwardly upset. You're, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is the main thing, and Mary chose that one thing, the main thing. What's he saying? He's saying everything flows out of our relationship with Jesus And if that's off, everything is off. It's the Christian's priority. Both Mary and Martha are doing something good. I mean, only only one gets it in the right order. Both were were preparing. Both were serving. Both were getting ready for people to come. But but when it came time to do the priority, the right thing, the the, the main thing, Mary splits off and, and gets the order right. Martha doesn't. And you have many priorities in your life, many duties, I should say. You have to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, a a good mother, a father, a diligent employee, a a helpful servant in the church. But you have one priority, and that's to seek Christ through listening to his word. And, And that's your priority every single day, to know him, to put him first, to sit at his feet, if you you will. And then everything else flows out of that. Now, there must be something that flows out of that. That's the lesson of the Good Samaritan. You can't just go to the temple in Jerusalem and know a bunch of stuff about the Bible and leave the presence of God and then leave somebody in the ditch. doesn't make any sense. But unless knowing God is prior, then nothing else matters. Without love for God, you're just a clanging symbol, Paul said in Corinthians. Look at verse 42. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I think one of my favorite lines and parts of this passage is that last statement, which shall not be taken away from her. I mean, here's the appropriate desire. There's one necessary thing, and that's to worship him by hearing his words. And and Jesus calls it the, the good or better portion. It says of Mary, she was listening to the Lord's words. I mean, that's not casual conversation. Mary's not just a busybody who wants to hear what's going on and doesn't want to be left out of the conversation the Lord is teaching. And she realizes these are the very words of God and she doesn't want to miss a one of them. And she's seated at his feet, the position of a learner. And I think the Greek indicates something even more. It says she's alongside his, his feet. She's as close as she can possibly get. She's in the posture of a learner. And she's also leaning in to get as much as she can get. She's, she's expressing intense interest. She doesn't want to miss a word. And you can't say, Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say. But you can't do what I say until you sit at my feet and, and hear my words. You put these two stories together. And again, think about what Martha's doing. The activities aren't bad. I mean, what putting final touches on the meal, getting the Lord's bed ready, putting out the fire. None of those things are bad. In fact, he commands you to 
give hospitality. The problem was not what she was doing, but the order. She had her priorities wrong. She chose good, not the best. Here's a probing question. When you get to choose, I don't mean when you go to church because somebody will know you're not there and they say, hey, where were you today? Or when you get to choose without any restraint or without any motivation from anyone else, what do you choose? Or we'll say a lot about the priorities of your life. So Jesus says Mary has chosen the right priority and you've not. And and it's right because it's a good portion. Anytime the Old Testament talks about the portion, the Lord is my portion, it means a fellowship with God. Uh, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and all, all of the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Lord is my portion. He's my first choice. Notice what Jesus says here in this last statement. He says this is necessary. He says it's chosen. He says it's good. And he says it will not be taken away. It will remain. It's necessary. A relationship with your Creator, fellowship with the Lord is life. It's like air that you breathe. A man shall not live by bread alone. It's chosen. It's, it's a choice whether you have this position or not, whether you yield your heart to hear Him or whether you don't, whether you cultivate fellowship with Him or, or, or not, whether you make your walk with God your priority. It's something you must choose, and it's good. It's Countless millions who could say to you this morning, God is good because I I know Him. He invited me to taste and see the Lord is good, and I did, and He is. I walked with Him. And Jesus says that will remain. It will never be taken away from you. I mean, the only thing that's going to last is fellowship with Christ. Health may not remain, your friends won't remain, your job or your money won't remain. The, The only thing that will remain is... It's Christ. And that's how this story ends. Rebuke, a gracious correction. But I say, did, she, did Martha get it? I mean, tell me more. Did she say, oh, you're right, God. I should have done what Mary said. Uh, I, Mary, forgive me for being critical of you. Would, would you move over? Jesus, would you forgive me? Please continue. Did she get mad and quit? I mean, did she burn out and stop serving God? I mean, at the moment, at my weakest, here God didn't fix my problem. In fact, he he rebuked me. I mean, did Jesus say, I'm not going to waste my time on an ungrateful grumbler any longer. I'm going to give all my effort to Mary. Forget Martha. We actually get the answer to all those questions in another gospel. It's in John chapter 11, verse 20. You can turn over there if... You would, we'll close here. Did Martha get the lesson? Did Mary continue? Yeah. John 11, verse 20. This is the the story of when Lazarus died and the Lord delays his coming to these same two women to teach them another lesson. And in this story, you see Mary and Martha in the same place. Mary is in the house. Martha is serving. And yet there's not even a hint of criticism toward Mary. Look at verse 20 of John 11. It says, So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. This passage contains two of the most significant professions of faith in all of the Bible. And do you know who makes those those professions? It's not Mary, it's Martha. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You have the power to keep him from dying. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. This is not a bitter woman. This is a woman who received the correction of the Lord. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, here is one of the professions, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a question to her. Wow, I don't know if I believe that or not. I remember when I was really weak and you rebuked me. It's not what she says. Look at verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The second great confession spoken by the mouth of Martha. Martha received God's correction. She chose the right portion. She's found joy in serving, and she's trusting Jesus even whenever death comes knocking on her door, the death of her brother. And she's a great example to my heart and also, I'm sure, to, to yours. So what about you? Lost your joy in serving? Do you need to get back to sitting at Jesus' feet? Maybe the point of this was the, the intro. Maybe you're sitting at Jesus' feet and you know a bunch of stuff, but you're not doing anything with it, and you're going to go back and read the Good Samaritan passage later. Maybe you're already to the point where a critical spirit has come into your, your heart. That's a serious sin. And if so, you need to confess that, ask God's forgiveness, and then begin sitting at His feet. I don't care how dry you are, how many dust bunnies are in there, when you acknowledge your sin, when you confess your sin to the Lord, He washes you clean. And fills you again with, with joy. Um, that's not a long process. That's a humble prayer. And God will, will restore your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you say my name. I'm so thankful you know my name, Lord. Not in judgment, but as your son. And I'm thankful whether you say my full name, I'm thankful whether you say it two times or three times, I am thankful that you correct me, and that in doing so, you, you also show me compassion. My sin doesn't turn you away. My sin led you to the cross. It's gone. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a statement. Not just what I did, but the iniquity of it. The evil, the, the guile that's there. There is no sin that you'll not forgive. If we will but humble our hearts, confess it and ask you to. Oh, Father, help us to do, help us to be, help us sit at your feet and serve you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.